श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय ग्रंथराज श्रीमद् भागवतम के जय बहुत प्रेम अनुदय इवनिंग वेलकम अमेंडा नाइस टू हैव यू हियर Darlila has come yet he's due is he called no but he's supposed to come early mm-hmm. okay so we're discussing Srimad Bhagavatam and we're discussing the section in the second chapter in which the verses that uh, Rupa Goswami drew from to articulate the nine stages of bhakti from initial faith to praying. He wrote about this actually in the chapter of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that is about praying bhakti. We were speaking last night a little bit about the way in which the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is organized. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is like the handbook of bhakti. It's, it's a very complex book at the same time, very comprehensive book, I should say, as well. Prabhupada, uh, my guru Maharaj wrote a summary study of it called Nectar of Devotion, a book that most of Prabhupada's disciples said, I never understood that one, which is part of the problem, I think, because understanding what we're doing helps to do it <laughs> and be proficient at that and accomplish the goal and so forth. So it's a very important text. <clears throat> and of course, in the text, he makes his points, and then he draws from the totality of the sacred text to support his his uh, his thesis. What is uh, Shuddha Bhakti, pure Bhakti? What is what is Krishna Bhakti? So <clears throat> we talked a little bit, as I say, about how that book was arranged. It's called a Siddhu, an ocean. So it's the ocean of Bhakti Rasa, Bhakti Rasa Amrita. Amrita means Amrit means Amrit. Amrit means death. And Amrit means deathless. It also means nectar. So there's said to be a deathless nectar that if you drink that, then you won't die. Uh, sometimes it's uh, thought of as soma from the moon, and that you would become you would, you would become a denizen of, of the heavenly celestial abode by drinking that to become immortal because time there is. Um, different than here. This all this, this celestial idea is a mental kind of a realm, mind stuff. It's still material, so you actually do run out of time there too. Um, but it's so long that it was thought if you got the soma and whatever went along with that, you went to heaven, you were deathless. But this is the real deathlessness, the real deathless elixir, the re, the um, what is it called, like rejuvenator, rasayana, rasayana, kata, um, bhakti rasa. And so bhakti rasamritam, sindhu. It's, an, it's not a little bit. It's not a drop. It's an ocean of bhakti rasa. The immortal nectar of bhakti rasa. Hmm? It's not just the end of death, but the beginning of immortal life. So there's, it, 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 as we were discussing a little bit yesterday, 
the idea of the text and of Krishna Bhakti is that there's that there's a spiritual life, not just a material, an end to material life, but there's actually a spiritual life. Uh, the absolute has a life of its own, and so we can come in contact with that, connect with that, um, go with the with the current, so to speak, <clears throat> enter his his sport, his play, his life constitutes, but that he has nothing to do, so mm. only to play. <clears throat> so it's divided, this Sindhu, this ocean of Bhakti Rasa into four different kind of like banks, if you will. There's the western side, the eastern, eastern, western, northern, southern oceans or sections of the of the ocean of bhakti rasa <clears throat> and in the eastern division there's four waves in other divisions there are other numbers of waves and so forth which are the different chapters and so in this fourth wave of the eastern division this prema bhakti is discussed we've been discussing the third wave which is bhava bhakti but we learned that bhava bhakti is what among other things, it is prema suryamsu. It is a amsa. Amsa means like part. Here it means ray because it's amsu surya. Suryamsu. Surya means sun. So it is a ray of the sun. A part of the sun means a ray of the sun. So this bhava is a ray of the sun of prema. So if prema is to, if the full day light, brightness that extinguishes the darkness once and for all of praying has a dawning, it's bhava. Hmm? This is the one ray of the of the sun of, of praying. It's in that chapter, which we're now going to discuss to some extent, because the second part of this verse, which we've come to now tonight, is about praying. It's in that chapter about praying that Rupa Goswami gives a couple of verses that describe these nine uh, stages of bhakti from shraddha up to up to prem. <clears throat> um, and these verses from Bhagavatam, as I say, are where he has drawn the, that uh, inspiration. The seeds verses are here in this chapter. <clears throat> now, the fact that there are nine stages is meant is a description that's meant to help us kind of get a handle on the whole thing, where we're at and in it and so forth. As I've many times said, you want to know two things. You want to know the destination, the desired goal, and you want to know where you are. So you want to see the map, you know, at the mall that says, you know, your destination is here and you are here. So both things have to be known to make progress. We should focus on where we want to go. Uh, we should, in, or we should focus in the, on where we are in the context of where we want to go, and we should focus on where we want to go in the context of where we are. Hmm? So, such a nice idea. I mean, to, to give us uh, some kind of uh, interior roadmap hmm? to uh, traverse the uh, inner landscape. Um, but. The problem with such uh, attempts 
on the part of saintly persons to articulate and make concrete something that is beyond word, beyond thought, that if it's concrete at all, it's concrete ecstasy, whatever that is. So, in other words, to try to, to, to explain it, the logic of it, to, to philosophize about it, to put it into words is useful for us. But we have to be careful in, in embracing that outreach, if you will, of the absolute on the part of saintly persons, like in this instance, Rupa Goswami, um, that we don't then succumb to thinking that we've arrested the thing in our mind and it's just like this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And, uh, and we, so there's, it's a handle, so to speak, on something that is, that um, transcends description. So the stages, they kind of bleed into one another a little bit here and there. And to give you an example of what I'm talking about, in this very section of the Bhagavatam, where these seed verses are found that Rupa Goswami drew out of there to see his the extent to which he could bring something out of the Bhagavatam. Even today, you, we give a talk on it, and people say, well, gee, I didn't know those were all there, and uh, uh, that's where it came from, and so forth. And of course, we know because maybe we've read Rupa Goswami uh, or Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur who commented on this here. Here, my point, Vishwanath Chakravarti has said there are 14 stages. Hmm? So, 14 stages, 9 stages. It just helps to illustrate the point. The famous is 9. In fact, Vishwanath, who here said there's 14, has written a book on the 9 stages given by Rupa Goswami. <laughs> so, and if you study the 14, then there, the 9 are in the 14, and the 14 are in the 9, and, and so on. But <laughs> the point is that... Um, these are, this is useful to a point for us. But the real point here is that we, if it's useful, that we may use it to, to enter within these, uh, the, 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 the world of these stages and experiential bhakti, especially in the later stages after anartha, nivritti, after unwanted things primarily have come out, our first service is fixed and we progress from there to develop a taste and so forth. You're really starting to to live now on the inner landscape. As I said, the difference between ruchi, the stage of taste, and nishta is the difference between medicine and food. So the medicine becomes food at that stage. You're living on that. So there's a world here mm, to enter into. And um, these handles, if you will, Prabhupada was kind of good at making things like concrete, kind of black and white, almost to a point like it's a little too concrete. Of course, it was done about 40 years ago or so, 30, 40 years ago. You might have done it a little differently in our times. I was doing a little, I'm writing now a commentary on the Mangalacharan verses of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the auspicious invocations, about 14 verses there. And... um, the, the, the one I'm working on now is the, th- what is it, the third one. There's some, um, there was some scope for me to look a little bit into yoga, yoga sadhana. Not that I know something about it, but I was doing a little research. And um, it was interesting to see the attempt 
on the part of yoga practitioners, teachers, I, I suppose as well, to take the terms and modernize them and uh, they were, I'm pretty good at that, but they were like extreme. <laughs> I just say, but they weren't good at it. In other words, they kind of like took the whole heart out of some of the terms and so forth. And brahmacharya, for example, was like moving with the creative flow of life <laughs> in one, one, one blog that I read. So, so, anyway, Prabhupada was, he was, he, he, when I was younger and in, in, in my, spiritual surge and existential crisis of sorts, then Prabhupada was great because he, he like made it all like kind of it's presented as such as you could hold on to it. I used to go and ask people, how do you meditate? And they'd say, you know, you just meditate. And uh, Prabhupada was very concrete about it. And you don't do it like this. And this is good. And this is bad. And so it was helpful hmm, to get involved. To get, and somebody, you know, we're herd animals for the most part, so you need a herd bull who's going to say, do it like this. And, okay, he's sure of himself. You know, I'll go with that. To a point, that's that's um, that's useful, not that we should all be just sheep and whatnot, but, um, but even to be a leader, you have to be a good follower, hmm? especially in bhakti. Hmm? So... Uh, so anyway, he was very good at that, and now you know people will look at that and say, "This is too concrete. It's too it's too black and white." And I can appreciate the way they think about it, but there's an it worked. It was it got people, and but we're here today, largely uh, because of that kind of presentation. And then you can go, of course, the other way, you know, where you just take the whole spirit out of it in the name of modernizing it or explaining it in modern. In terms of modern sensibility and so forth, so there's, the point is there's an advantage to doing that. It's a kind of a soft form of institutionalization. I've sometimes compared Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to like like a waterfall of ecstasy that you have to just kind of stand back from and wow, what's that all about? There he was chanting and falling on the ground and melting, hmm? and. Uh, he was what he was was not understandable. This is this will come up in the discussion about praying. It's very difficult to understand. There's a nice statement in this connection in Chaitanya Charitamrita. What is that verse? That the Adbhuta Charit. Adbhuta Charit. Paya Bisha Jwalahoy Bitare Ananda Moy. Krishna Premier Adbhuta Charit. It's a Bengali verse of Krishna's Kavirash. He says, Bhaya Bisha Jwalahoy. On the outside, this Prem, it looks very frightening. Hmm? It's hard to understand. But Inside it is ananda to the extreme. Krishna Premier Adbhuta Charit. This is the Adbhuta, the wonderful Charit character of Prem. To illustrate this point, which came to my mind in mentioning Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his ecstasy, a person once told Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj that your goal is the following Chaitanya and 
attaining what he you know, embodied and so forth, but we see that his life was very troublesome. <laughs> he would, uh, he could chant the name of Krishna and then fall on the ground and, and uh, people couldn't get close to him because he would shower them with tears. Who wants to stand out in the rain? Uh, you know, and he was describing the external reality of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his ecstasy, sometimes in, in very ex- extreme, the sattvika bhavas. Sattvika bhavas are a type of bhava that, um, that uh, brings about uncontrollable bodily uh, symptoms, like tears, pouring hair, standing on end. There are eight asta sattvika, choking of the voice and so forth, trembling. But there are others as well. They're so extreme. Rupa Goswami says in his Bhaktivarasamrita-sindhu, I'm not going to write about it because they're so extreme. What examples are there? But there was an example of one of the things that he said, for example, perspiring blood. Now, there are people that do that. They cry blood. I've, I've read about it. That's an odd medical condition, but not from chanting. <laughs> but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu perspired blood in the Ratha Yatra. This is... So this is like, so the guy said, you know, that's your goal? I don't know about that. I, I, I am not very, I don't know if we're, if I can be interested. It looks very unhappy, very un, unhappy condition. So, on the outside, it looks very questionable and uh, it, 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 it burns like fire. It's like poison. Inside, it is another thing altogether. Even the sadhana bhakti, the life of the sadhak, is something like that. You live up there all the time? <laughs> For example, what do you do? You don't eat this? You don't have a TV? My God! <laughs> how can you How can you live there? What's, you wear the same clothes? Seemed like every day. <laughs> so, even that, the kind of, and that's just not for monks, even for the for the laity and so forth. People will think you're like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could go with that. So, uh, but we're doing it on the basis of, of internal enthusiasm and encouragement, bliss, and so forth. So, it's the same principle magnified. 108,000 million times this frame of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Vitore Ananda full of Ananda, Ladini Shakti. It's so full, this frame. It's so, Rupa Goswami says in his chapter about it, that it's so hard to understand that even the person who has it doesn't understand they have it. They're lost in that. This body cannot contain the brain, even. Up to brain, then he has to leave. That is the leaving of the devotee. Devotee becomes liberated far earlier than brain. As we heard earlier, bhava-bhakti makes liberation look small. The implication is, among other things, that within bhava-bhakti, which is the graduation from sadhana-bhakti, the goal of sadhana-bhakti, mukti is found. The karma has, has all ended, why is he still here then? And if he has no karma, then how is the body functioning? The answer is that Krishna, Krishna 
takes over the body, supplies some special karmic arrangement to preserve it, that the devotee can cultivate prem, because his ideal is greater than just mukti. So, it's, uh, it, it, so he cultivates the bhava, which is the ray of the sun of prem, and then gradually this prem comes, he becomes ripe. And then, uh, he, of course, in Chaitanya Bhakti, in Gaudiya Vedanta, he leaves the world, he enters the world again, he has to take birth again where Krishna's pastimes are taking place. And there, his preem is developed further. Hmm? The stai, the dominant emotion, is developed further. And then when the pastimes close, then he goes back with the associates of Krishna. So it's a, a very unique uh, kind of journey. So, at any rate, as I say, it's difficult, very difficult uh, to, um, to understand this preem, bhakti in general. Hmm? The activities of the Vaishnava are difficult to understand. Here's one way it's difficult to understand. It's thought that spiritual perfection is the end of distress hmm? and an unlimited happiness or the end of pursuit of happiness and the attempt to move away from distress, materially speaking. But we find in the Prem Bhakta, he's got distress. He's, certain things make him happy. Certain things make him, So it looks like, well, what's with this? It seems like, in some respects, he may seem or she may seem like an ordinary person. But the, the motivation behind that happiness and stress is an entirely different uh, uh, it's, it's a source. The motivation is, very, is different than the ordinary person. It's based on Krishna's happiness. And it, 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 he may be... Uh, I'll give you a, a possible example. There's the story of Gorka Shordas Babaji Maharaj. He was, a, he was totally oblivious to the external world at times. And uh, he was in Navadweep city, village. Um, and some, he was like, you know, looked like a, like a bag man or something, you know. Was, so people didn't understand. And the same is true of Sukadev, who was traveling, wandering naked as a 16-year-old boy, and kids were throwing stuff at him and making fun of him and so forth. And he walked into Naimishadani and all the people stood up, all the people from the different schools who were wise and had gathered there to try to answer Parikshit Maharaj's question about what to do at the time of death. They could understand, this boy knows he's not attached to anything. Problem of death is attachment to things. You're not attached to anything, it's not a problem. He knows. He's, he's, so, but the kids didn't understand him. So, similarly, some boys, they were throwing stones at, at Gorkashordas Babaji Maharaj. And he said, you stop that, or I'm going to tell Mother Yashoda on you. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what he was talking about. You know. So he was seeing them like this Krishna's friends causing mischief to him or something. And so, like, it, it's very... Or... Um, Prabhupada would say things sometimes like, "What would we do, Prabhupada, if uh, you know, they would ask him if uh, we, uh, you know, if they, uh, if they don't, if they don't take the books and understand Krishna consciousness, then we will, then we will bomb them. Hmm? You know, then we will, we will drop the bomb on them." 
something like that. Or what did he say? Something like that. So this is like, if you understand him, his sentiment, inner life, this is called virarasa. Virarasa is a very, is a, is a, is a, a secondary rasa that is very prominent in Sakya rasa. So those vira means like heroism, mock fighting and so forth, like boys will do, something like that. So um, he had a surge of, I mean, of course, if you asked him, should we, really? You know, because we would like take him literally. <laughs> He'd come down and say, no, no, we don't have any bombs to start with. We don't need any. You know, he didn't stock any or anything like that. <laughs> like that. But he would talk. He, he, I remember I was with him once on a, on a walk in the morning in Mayapur, and he said, soon there will be a war. And the went, what? You know, turn on that microphone and record this. It's going to be a war soon, you know. And I was kind of watching. I wasn't commenting. And... Um, the other devotees were really excited, and they were asking him all these questions, and, and he was kind of playing with them because he could see that they had, they had taken it in a certain way, and, it, and they were saying it'll be like this, it'll be like that. And as we got towards the end of the walk, heading back towards the temple, one of my brothers said, "But Prabhupada, you know," he said, "Well," he said, "They said well, he had said, well, preaching will be good during the war. You know, we, we'll go like the Red Cross. We'll have vans, and we'll go. You know." And so then one of the devotees said, Prabhupada, you don't understand. Now they've got these weapons, you see. And when they drop them, you know, they have this radiation. It goes as if Prabhupada wasn't around for World War II or something. (laughs) (laughs) Radiation, it goes everywhere. And and he's presenting this, like, really bleak picture, which, of course, a nuclear war would be a very bleak picture. There's no doubt about that. And Prabhupada just turned to him and said, you have to die. (laughs) I mean... You know, what will we do? You know, he says, so what will we do? You have to die. You know, that's, so then he just chant Hare Krishna we went back in the temple. And so, you know, we're dying all the time. We don't need a cataclysmic event to to convince us that we should become serious about bhakti. Or, or sometimes people think, well, if this big cataclysmic event happens, and other people will all get serious, and then, you know, I'll be sure it's right, you know. And then I'll do it too or something. You're dying at every moment. It's a big event. Hmm. It's an internal fire of nuclear explosion is going on, slow, slow burn, <laughs> so to speak. So we should do something about it now. So at any rate, prem, difficult to understand. Prem is the prayojan, the goal, the ideal. Hmm. Bob is the is the is the is the, uh, the dawning of that, so to speak. So because this prem is a ray of this, or Bob is, the, is a ray of the sun of Prem, then what is Prem? Then Prem will be a, the condensation, as much as sun, to use the example, is a condensation of rays, a concentration, better, maybe should say, of the rays. So this Baba is a concentration, a condensation of, of, of Bhava. Hmm? Um, just like Brahman is compared to the effulgence of Krishna, and Krishna is the concentration of that. His form is satchitanam, it's concentrated sat. If you, can, if you can have like orange juice and then the concentrate, right? <laughs> the frozen, the concentrate, uh, so, so like that. It has a form, otherwise it's liquid. So Krishna is the form. Of course, he's not frozen. 
but he's the condensation or the concentration of bliss. And so this has the, been the primary characteristic of, of Prem. It's, it's um, sandra, 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 the Atma, Vishesha, or as it's described in the first chapter of the uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, as one of the qualities of this Prem is Sandrananda, Vishesha, uh, it's, uh, we talked about this yesterday, and there's some overlapping because Bhav and Prem are um, Ray and Son, of, as Ray is to Son, so there's some overlapping. But um, Prem is a concentration of Bhav. This is its Sarupalakshana, its primary characteristic. And it means also that it has, it's a concentrated form of bliss, of happiness. And we talked about this yesterday, that Krishna's Swarup has Swarup Ananda. His nature is of bliss. It said, uh, Anando Mayo, Ananda Mayo Bhyasa, Brahman is Ananda. So, sugar is sweet, I gave the example, but sugar can't taste itself. So to taste itself, to taste himself, Krishna, the one, eternally, becomes two, as Radha Krishna. And Radha is the Shakti, so she is the she, she is the Swarup Shakti Ananda. Krishna's the Swarup Ananda. She's the Swarup Shakti Ananda. And this form of Ananda, then, is more concentrated. Therefore, Radha is considered to be the, the, the personification of um, Ladini, the highest ecstasy, highest Ananda. So that, then, the difference between Bhav and Prem is that that the Swarup Shakti, the Swarup Shakti Ananda, influences one in Bhava. And in Prem, it completely consumes one. Hmm? And one attains a, a nature, a Swarup, and a corresponding form for participating in the world of Ananda. Hmm? Concentrated uh, happiness. Rupa Goswami says, how will we describe it, this this quality of, of, of Prem Bhakti. He says, if we were to take the bliss of Brahman that the jnanis are so interested in and uh, multiply it a trillion fold, it would not compare to a tiny atomic particle of this Prem in terms of bliss. Uh, it's hard to fathom because the bliss of Brahman itself is unlimited. Hmm? So, but what, what, to help us understand this a little bit, we can, we can appreciate that Brahman, if you will, is a static form of bliss in comparison to Krishna in Leela, which is a dynamic form of bliss. Obviously, the bliss of Brahman compared to material happiness is not static. Material happiness is static at best. It's boring, it's, it wears out, and, you know, what next? Uh, what do we do tonight? I don't know, what do you want to do, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's dynamic in that regard, but then to compare it to Leela, hmm? and that is another thing, uh, that is super dynamic. So some way some to help us understand the idea of greater, greater unlimited bliss, more unlimited bliss, concentrated, so... Then the other quality of Prem, 
that is mentioned in, in the first chapter of Bhakti Samrita Sindhu is that Sri Krishna Akarshani. It has the power to conquer Krishna and Sri. It means his associates, like Radha. It has the power to conquer them. Hmm? To this to to make uh, to get their attention entirely. As I said yesterday, the bliss of the jiva is very small. The evidence of that is that it can be covered by Maya. Hmm? The bliss of Krishna cannot be covered by Maya. Hmm? But Krishna's can be covered by the bliss of the Surup Shakti Ananda. That's what Krishna means, actually. The absolute in the hands of his devotees. Do with me as you like. You want me to be your friend? I'll be your friend. To be as your son, to be your lover. These are wild claims, wild, audacious ideas that you want to relate with the absolute like this, and you're only a tiny particle. But I find it charming, he says. Something like that. I like that. Yes, after all, you are made in my image. And so this is the full idea of knowing everything about yourself. You're a tiny atomic particle of Satchitananda. I'm the whole of that, and bhakti is, is, is more of that, so to speak, than the channel by which the drop and the ocean come together. And it's a, this is a very charming, um, it is a very attractive idea to Krishna compared to, I want mukti, I want money. <laughs> I mean, this doesn't really get his attention. So, Prem is the goal. It has the power to conquer Krishna. It's concentrated happiness. It is characterized also marginally as a as a kind of possessiveness. So it's one thing, for example, to think I belong to Krishna. It's another thing to think, thing to think Krishna belongs to me. It reaches this kind of which includes the former. I belong to Krishna. This is this is a development. Krishna belongs to me. Um, in a development in love and intensity of love. So it's uh, it's a kind of a possessiveness, mamata, which mamata is the whole problem of material existence. We have possessiveness. So we can see how beautiful bhakti is because what? It's very friendly, it's very user-friendly because we have a sense of possessiveness. We attach ourselves to things, right? We think this is mine. This mine is the whole problem. Nothing is ours. But Krishna could be ours. So when we transfer, when, we, we, when, the, when the object of our minus becomes Krishna, he's mine. It starts with, I belong to him. It develops into, he's mine. He's one of us. Something like that. And this is the idea of Prem. There's an identity that's formed from that. It begins in asakti, which means attachment to Krishna. It culminates in this minus mamata for Krishna. There's a corresponding then swarup, an identity, and and that is not a fleeting identity that's here today and gone tomorrow. Hmm? So, um, so prem, prem prayojan. This is the goal. Hmm? Difficult to understand. Um, Rupa Goswami has written, written a short chapter about it, and then he goes on to explain uh, the various bhavas, ecstasies that combine together in different ways constitute different shapes that this prem will take. Hmm? Prem prayojan, so prem is the ideal. So we should know something about it. Hmm? It's embodied as, a, as we 
Here Krishna Prem Nityasiddha Sadduka Bhuno. It's embodied in the associates of Krishna. Um, but again, we were talking about in relation to Bhava that it's not a foreign imposition. This has to come with it. It's a gift. But it's not a foreign imposition any more than love is a foreign imposition. We have a capacity to love, but we need to find somebody to love <laughs> and have their willingness to love us. Then we can have love. But when we fall in love, we don't feel it's an artificial imposition, even though love wasn't there in me for that person. You kind of think, well, maybe it was. It kind of came out. It's kind of hard to sort it out. Uh, but technically speaking, this bhava, this preem is not inside of us as a jiva. Hmm? If we were just to take off the ignorance, we wouldn't have preem. Hmm? We might have mukti, but not preem. Preem is a gift. That means... Someone on the other side is also involved, so this is, is two two parties, the two becoming one. There has to be there's an agreement on Krishna's part, by the grace of his devotees, to extend himself to others. We just have to agree on this end. That's all. And then when we do, it seems like it comes from within inside of us. But technically speaking, we say, oh, well, no, it's not that the preem is inside the constitution of the jiva. But it's not that it's an artificial imposition either. We say that Krishna is inside the jiva, right? Krishna says it himself. What does he say in the Gita? He says that I'm in the heart of everyone. He says, mm-hmm. "For me comes knowledge and forgetfulness and remembrance." Uh, uh, so. Uh, is he in the heart? Sometimes I say, well, figuratively, we say he's in the heart for meditation, to get a handle again, as we were speaking earlier on. But, but is he not in the heart? He's everywhere. So similarly, with sometimes there's an argument, is what I'm alluding to here, that comes up in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Some people say, well, this brain is in the heart, it's dormant, it has to come out. Other people say, how can it be in the heart? It's not in the jiva, it's, it's a different tattva, and so forth. And, so there's a, there's a middle ground. Great persons have said both things. Hmm? And because they're great and realize, we know it's a language issue here, primarily. We should respect their, their greatness. And then our test is to sort out the language in terms of the Siddhanta and find how it could be thought of in this way and how he's not saying what, what the follower of this one thinks he's saying. The followers of the two are arguing. Those two are quoting one another. <laughs> so... <laughs> It rise above that. And again, love is as much from within as it is from without, in a sense. That's the kind of experientially it's like that. It's not an artificial imposition. This bhav is, is, is ladini, uh, the swaruk shakti is ladini, sandini, samvit. This means ecstasy, cognizance, existence. We are Satchitananda. It means existence, cognizance, ecstasy. Bhaktivinoda has described it like this. We are an atomic particle, a partial manifestation of that primal shakti in a sense. Material nature is like a distorted manifestation of it. Hmm? So we get, like I said the other night, if, you're, if you have a little bit of money and you, you join with somebody who has more money, then your money has more power. At that time, for investing, he could invest in a lot. So you add some, and you get the benefit of 
being a partial investor in something that you couldn't invest in. So bhakti is about finding, connecting our wealth, hmm? our sat on what we are, with a greater reservoir of, of wealth. Hmm? And the means is bhakti. Hmm? That is the wealth. That is the goal. Note that prem is the goal, not Krishna. And prem is bhakti. So bhakti is engaged in for what purpose? For bhakti's sake. Hmm? Of course, the secret is what? We say the goal is not Krishna, the goal is prem. The secret is that prem and Krishna are inseparable. Hmm? Krishna is the, the form of the, of the Godhead that corresponds with a particular type of prem. So, therefore, sometimes people say, have you seen Krishna? We say, I wasn't looking hmm, for Krishna. I was looking how to serve Krishna. Hmm. There you will see Krishna with that kind of focus. Hmm. So, any question? All right, so we stop there. Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Go Nityananda ki jai. Go Bhaktabinda ki jai. Go Premanande. Go Premanande.